The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, host of The Anxious Achiever, and welcome to my bi-weekly LinkedIn Live. Today, I talk to Meredith Arthur, tech executive, author, and a kindred spirit who, like me, tends to process things in public, the things that we don't usually talk about in public. Meredith has recently written about her journey on the weight loss drug Wagovi. Now, Wagovi is a semaglutide that is, along with Ozempic and Monjaro, a much-discussed new pharmaceutical that was originally created to help people manage diabetes, but that has other pretty amazing effects instead because Meredith shares that one of the most profound changes that she's experienced since being on Wagovi is that the, quote, food noise in her head is quieted. I know that food noise all too well, the thinking about what you want to eat, what you feel you can't eat, what you feel you shouldn't have eaten, did I go to the gym, is this going to be bad for me? All that noise, she said, has dissipated, even though the drug itself has had some really serious side effects that she's managed. Meredith wrote that being on Wagovi has been like being on an SSRI of the body, a drug that has tremendous, tremendous value to her, but that is really a journey. So we talk about that. We talk about managing pain and mental health and showing up at work. And we talk about food noise. Enjoy and let me know what you think. I am so happy to be here with you. Audience, hello. A reminder, I can't see you on LinkedIn. If you have questions, comments, Pop them in. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear where you're from. We'd love to hear if you have your own questions or your own story, your own journey with Ozempic or Wagovi or anything fun like that. This is your time. I'm going to talk to Meredith. And, you know, if we see questions, we'll take them. But Meredith, can you just tell the audience who you are? Sure. It's so nice to not see you all. I have to believe you're there. I know. I it's weird. <laughs> but it's great. You know what? I believe you're there. I have faith. My name is Meredith Arthur. I live in the Bay Area. It's a bit overcast here today. I work in technology. I work at Pinterest. I am the chief of staff of Pinterest Innovation Lab, which is named 220. And um, I also am the founder of Beautiful Voyager, which is a podcast and site. And there's a book all about the same topics that Moira covers. She and I really get each other in this world. <laughs> we do. We vibe off each other. And and one of the things that I want to talk about today is that you and I are both sort of public processors of our own journey. Great point. And um, a lot of listeners increasingly send me questions and stories about their own journeys and should I go public with this? What should I do with this? You know, and so I'd, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. But I called you up and asked you to do this LinkedIn Live with me, which will also be on the podcast feed for The Anxious Achiever. Um, 
because you wrote a beautiful newsletter. All your newsletters are beautiful. And I really recommend everyone go and sign up for Meredith Substack, Beautiful Voyager. But you you wrote an email titled, Wagovi is like the SSRI of the body. That was roughly the title. And I'm just going to read um, what you wrote. Uh, one of the sentences, in addition to going up on Wigovi, which we'll talk about, I'm going down on Lexapro. Go you. I'm moving in the right direction. I'm halfway to my weight goal and I'm feeling much less pain than I was in six months ago, but it hasn't been easy. I said to a friend, Wigovi is to the body as an SSRI is to the brain. It's a miraculous medical tool, but it needs to be treated with respect. That sentence stuck out to me and I really wanted to explore it with you. Um, so this was a couple months ago, maybe. How are you doing now? Well, can I just say, yeah. first of all, thank you so much for reading my newsletter because to your point about being a public processor, when you go through things and you write them about yourself, you're always concerned that you're overly self-centered uh -huh. or self-obsessed and, um, the reason that I am a public processor is it's the only way I know to build bridges around topics that I'm really interested in and I have no idea what other people are thinking. Um, and a lot of my confusion, even as a child, was like, this is what's in my head. What's in the people around me? What are they experiencing? What are they thinking? I, I, really having no idea. And so the reason I decided to write the piece was because my husband one morning said to me, you know what, There's a, there seems to be a lot of hypocrisy around Wagovi in particular. You should say what Wagovi is. Yeah, let me say what Wagovi <laughs> is, first of all. Wagovi is, uh, is made of the same medication that Ozempic is. Ozempic has had more media coverage. Wagovi is um, a semi-glutenate. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, it is a shot that you take weekly, and it... Um, you know, my daughter calls it an appetite suppressant. <laughs> There's more going on to it chemically than that, but it um, it makes your stomach digest its food more slowly, and ultimately, it's a weight loss drug. So, it is you know gaining a lot of attention. Lots of people have been talking about being on it. TikTok, I'm sure, is covered in it. I know I've seen some TikToks about it, um, and it is something that I. Uh, sort of surprised myself and went on um, back in February after having a hysterectomy. So mm. I had been in a state of uh, denial, maybe is the right way to put it, or um, I knew I was gaining a lot of weight through my uh, endometriosis and um, pelvic floor congestion through all of these issues that led to my hysterectomy. I knew that I wasn't moving around very much. I was in pain all the time and my body was changing, but I had almost given up on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the hysterectomy helped me change my perspective. And in fact, the first time I ever saw what I weighed was the day I went in for my surgery. So I was being weighed right before the surgery to know how much um, medication I'd be given like during the surgery. And it was the first time I looked down and I don't know what it was about that moment and saw what I weighed. I had actually always asked to not see it. I didn't want to know it. I thought it would just add negative chatter into my brain to be thinking about my weight. 
And um, so at this moment, I I was able to see it. I don't know if it was because I felt so supported or like that this was a moment of medical reckoning. <sighs> and what I saw was I had gained 60 pounds wow. in um, about four years. I knew roughly. I mean, I really had not looked at my weight ever. Um, And so I, after going through the surgery, realized like, okay, maybe I can feel okay. Maybe I can feel better. What does that look like? What's that like? And um, I talked with my sister-in-law and my brother about my weight. I was staying with them for my surgery. And um, it was the first time I'd ever said this, you know, I, I've gained 60 pounds in four years. I don't even feel connected to my body. I don't know what's happening. And that's when I started hearing more about Wagovi and Ozempic and started on the journey of learning about it. Sarah, I feel like I'm just talking, talking, talking. No, yeah. I love it. And, and Sarah, <laughs> I needed this today. I always feel shame when I publicly process and I'm dealing with some things I wish I could speak out about, including my Manjaro journey. Thanks, Sarah. Manjaro is a sister medicine. Yes, too. absolutely. It's a different, it's not semi-glutinate, but it's within the family. And in fact, Manjaro was the first one that I thought, this is the one I should be on. I didn't know anything. I'm still learning so much about this. But oh, yes, Sarah, obviously. agree. It's like, does anyone even care? Who wants to talk about my weight? Like, you know, I know. <laughs> I So I will say two things as we get into this. One is that I, I'm always nervous to talk about weight. It is such, I mean, for God's sake, when the world is literally burning, why we are all so fixated on weight, I I do not know. I always say like, if I could give back the hundreds and thousands of hours that my brain has wasted on worrying about my weight, I'd probably win a Nobel Prize, but whatever. Um, Weight is a minefield in this country. Weight is a minefield when it comes to professional identity and how we show up at work. And so weight is something that I am fascinated by body image and identity, totally fascinated. My own eating issues are super complicated. I have like a lot of compulsions around exercise. I have been on a diet since I was 11 years old. I have a lot of, a lot of stuff, um, but I am thin. And so I'm like, you know, always nervous, but I, I really wanted to talk about this because this is a cultural conversation And it creates profound, I would imagine, I would imagine, I mean, look, you went through two profound changes because you had a hysterectomy and then you've lost about what, 30 pounds. Yeah. At this point, I've lost 35 pounds. Um, But at the same time, you know, this is not something that started in the past couple of years in terms of radical body experiences. I would say Mm. that the first experience I had, and you and I actually, I re-listened to our our interview together, and I mentioned it on our interview, which is I had a Topamax experience, experience years ago in Me 2015, um, where I had lost 40 pounds by being on this migraine medication called Topamax. And that was, that really, and again, like SSRIs, I had to go through a lot of medication experiences to reckon with my relationship with medication. I had to learn about side effects. I had to learn that like, it's not, it's not a forever decision. It's an ever evolving relationship with medication. And 
Topamax is the one that did that for me. Topamax was the one that just had such insane side effects to me. It changed my personality. It changed how I behaved in the world and my body. And it was the one where I basically felt like, well, at least I'm thinner. At least I'm thinner. My personality may be gone. My husband may want to leave me, but at least I'm thinner. Oh, God. Which is disgusting. That is so and messed up. But yeah. It's so messed up. And it's not even something that I talked about. I mean, it's more that other people talked about it to me. Like everyone was asking me, what'd you do? What did you do? What, what are you on a diet? What's this diet? I had my LA based friends oh. saying like, um, you know, tell me more about Topamax. Like, what? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm a zombie. And uh, I, you know, I drift off for minutes at a time. I forget my words, but <laughs> yeah, I lost some weight. <laughs> so you know, like, that's the thing. Maria that's Callis why SSRIs. I mean, didn't Maria Callis ingest tapeworms to, to stay oh thin? God. I forgot about that. I yeah, always right. have this image of this, of this diva going, oh this horrible God. snake in her you're body. Right. You're, right. you're right. You're right. I know that I remember in my 20s, I was like, well, are tapeworms a real thing? And <laughs> fecal transplants seem big. Maybe that'll help. I mean, so many, so many different things. But I think the, the biggest thing was this idea of like, my mind is having really bad side effects, but my body's getting thinner. So that's a, you know, and, and this is where I started to understand that the journey through these medications and SSRIs added to me gaining weight, by the way. So yeah. there's that as well. Um, where, you know, 2015, I switched off Topamax, went on SSRIs, started gaining weight. It's all just this mesh of issues and topics and things to discuss. Why were you excited in your email? You wrote, I've gone down on Lexapro. You yeah. Were so 20 and you went down to five. And I and think for- actually what I meant, what the thing is, I'm, I'm always the first to say like, have you explored medication? <laughs> like I, I, I have absolutely zero stigma around medication. I think medication again, can be an amazing tool. One that I'm very grateful for. I have been on Lexapro since 2015. I am now only on five milligrams. So I've gone down quite a bit. Wow. And, uh, it's more that I was proud of myself for navigating the going down than anything else, because every time you go down, you have a bunch of different side effects. I don't feel like there's any big, like, you know, win to being off of Lexapro. I'm not like I need to be off Lexapro at all. Um, What I'm looking for is, you know, to always explore my experience with the side effects with the like how what's it like to be off Lexapro at this point I don't have to be on it forever like you know things have changed since 2015 I'm in a different mental space I Mm -hmm. have more tools I have more coping tools and lots of other things so and pain always has driven why I've made my decisions so my migraines my nausea my so and my pain lessened so much from the hysterectomy Mm. that I said to myself maybe Maybe I can try being off Lexapro. Let's see. You you said that you were ready somehow to listen to your body at that yeah. moment. It had been, I think, I, I relate to the idea that your body sometimes is screaming at you, being like, just screaming. Fucking listen to I'm me. taking you down. I always describe it like that with the migraines. I'm taking you down. <laughs> 
Um, and that, and that you said that like you often just didn't listen. Weird. I didn't even know what listening was. Huh. <laughs> like I, you know, remember that? I don't know if you remember, but I said, you know, I always my mind was like a balloon on a string, and everything that I thought I was was up in this balloon, and my body was just down here, completely disconnected. Yeah, and so, um. I think, you know, I, in 2015, I, with my diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, I started to listen to all the signals that my body was sending me in the form of all these symptoms and, you know, nausea, lightheadedness, fainting, migraines. I mean, I had done everything I could not to listen to these things. So I started to learn how to listen to them. And I feel like I just keep going deeper with it. Mm. And this weight thing is like the next level down. And I'm lucky to be able to do that because of Wagovi, actually. Like, I don't even know without Wagovi if I would have been able to get to where I am now with this relationship because it lowers food noise. This is something people talk a lot about with Wagovi. It lowers food noise in your head, meaning... You are no longer thinking, what's my next meal? What did I eat? Should I be eating that? Should I not be eating that? It just silences that. Oh, my God. That sounds like a miracle. It is kind of a miracle. <laughs> it is a miracle. Oh. <laughs> it is. It lowers the food noise. When did you first notice that? chatter was gone or lessened quickly quickly and i have a, a friend who may even be here with us right now who went on it a month ago and she said within two days she noticed the food noise was going down but i quickly now for me because i, I whatever my nervous system however it was built biologically i'm gonna be <laughs> i'm gonna feel a lot of things so I had nausea immediately i had like a lot of the side effects so it was so it took time to adjust to get to the point where only the food noise was like the thing I really noticed was down, if that makes sense. It took longer for me. But other people have said it's faster. Listeners, send us a comment. Send us a question about your experience, food noise. I'm still stuck on that because that is just the perfect, perfect. Um, Mora, it's like freedom. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I, the, the emotional relationship, and again, like SSRIs, um, the emotional relationship of letting go of some of this baggage um, because of the physical experience. That's that's why, to me, the comparison is so stark. And also, uh, what I was going to say earlier was the reason I decided to write the post is because my husband said to me, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy or confusion from people about how to talk about this because we've been told body positivity is very important so everyone wants to be um and rightly so they want to be supportive they want to be embracing of bodies of all bodies which i do too and i want to be embracing my own body and yet at the same time you have a lot of people who are suddenly losing weight and you're seeing it and you're seeing people looking differently and they're 
you know, but they're not necessarily saying it. So a lot of celebrities oh God. you'll see are like, I it's it's food and you know, it's diet and exercise. I, I just Mindy finally Kaling, figured it out. For God's sake, lady. <laughs> I mean well, it's okay, diet so and exercise. I just figured it out. <laughs> I, I just love being healthy. Um, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, mm, it's no, there's no shame in acknowledging the complexity of this topic. There's no shame in the full range. But there clearly is a lot of shame. And I was, and I was well, reflecting. There should be no shame. <laughs> right. I mean, Ruth Marcus at the Washington Post wrote a fabulous, very long um, first person about her journey with Ozempic. I really recommend. And um, there were two points from that I wanted to to bring up. One is, um, you know, I do feel there's something deeply in our culture. It's Americans capitalistic that, that feels that we have to have the grit, the yes. discipline, Yes, you know, yes. that, that, that there is something admirable about putting the hard work in and then suffering if you don't versus people are like, well, if you just take a shot, that's cheating. I've heard that a million times. It's, Ruth Ruth Marcus wrote that. I I cheated. I took Ozempic. Um, it's so it's so capitalistic to me. I think you're exactly right. One thing I just want to say, in case anyone out there is listening and they're thinking, "Wait, Ozempic, Ozempic, Ozempic is approved for diabetes treatment. Right. Wagovi is approved by the FDA for weight management." So people may, you know, often you hear like, "Hey, I'm on." Um, Ozempic, and I'm stealing it from people that actually need it for diabetes. Like we're in the early stages of these drugs, and we're still figuring it out as a society. Um, and when I started this, I thought, oh, I'm going to go on Manjaro because that's the one I've heard about. And you know, there are like weight loss spas that help you with getting on Manjaro. Manjaro. Um, and then when I went to see my doctor and they told me, hey, well, Gobi is actually approved by the FDA for weight loss and you can go on that. I'm just I just want to mention that because it is sort of a confusing world of these different drugs. And there is um, some complexity there around making sure that the drugs are available for people who need them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And there's a lot of privilege and a lot of people go off label and yeah. pay privately yes. for these drugs. And so yes. that's a whole other ball of yes. wax. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. Sarah, okay. I wish some thought leaders would listen to people on this journey when it comes to food noise. The difference between hunger signals and food noise, in my experience, is vast. I get hunger signals on Manjaro, but I no longer experience the effects of insulin resistance that used to cause me to constantly crave specific things all the time to the point of distraction. Wow. Thank you, Sarah. Great comment. Great comment. Yeah. Um, I, yep. Yeah, she's right. Yeah. yeah, Sarah, Sarah is filled with knowledge out there. Yes, she's um, exactly right. She's, she's just saying that um, you know, that there is this tension around don't steal from people who have diabetes, you know. And so again, like different different journeys, different drugs. <laughs> this is this is another piece of it. I, I wrote this week about um I went to go get my um novel antipsychotic called Caplita, which I, I feel has been life changing. My insurance yeah. is not working right now. And it was $1,800. They applied a discount. It was only $1,200. I thought, this is, again, this is America. This is, this is everywhere. But, I, you know, we, I don't want to focus on health policy. I want to acknowledge it mm -hmm. and just say, mm -hmm. um, there are 
a lot of tensions there. But one of the things that you tied in, which I thought was also fascinating, is your job is to help people grow in creativity. That's literally your job. And you talk a lot about growth mindset and the ability to see experiences for their learning potential. And you wrote, in the past five months of my medication up and downs, I've been forced to live my philosophy many times over. That, and that for you being able to communicate what you're experiencing gives your experiences shape and purpose because you've been really sick as well and you've been through difficult times. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's something that I'm really fascinated by and I, I want to explore it more, which is this idea of um, how narrative helps us make sense of our lives. Um, that there are sort of two layers that we heal on from trauma. Um, one is physical, biological, and the other is narrative and storytelling. And so it could be said that talk therapy is helping people understand their narrative, helping them make sense of having shared narratives with other people. This is very important to me. This is something that I've realized is crucial and sort of core to who I am mm. is not only making my own narrative, because anyone can make any narrative they want, but like testing it with others, like getting feedback, being told like, I disagree with that. That's not right. I'm married to someone who's always telling me like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Um, because it's not just that you say something, it's that you say it, it's out in the world and you're understanding through feedback what it actually means. The For that reason, it is very important to me to say things publicly, not just mm -hmm. to myself. Um, because that is where I feel my growth is, is to have people ask me questions and, and change my thinking and push back on me. And living that, what I mean by the past five months I've had to live it is, you know, you can say a lot of things about growth mindset. You can say like, it's so important. You really should do it. You really should. But like being forced to feel so sick and laying in bed and saying to yourself like, this is an adjustment of the medication. We, you know, and understand like this is part of the inputs. This is data inputs for me. That's like living it. Data inputs. <laughs> data inputs. God like, bless I you. work at tech, everyone. I'm sorry. <laughs> data inputs. And yet when you're on serious meds, you do spend a lot of your time with that data input. Mm -hmm. um, and tracking is crucial. Tracking, and, tracking yeah. side effects is crucial. Yeah. I'm still stuck on lowering food noise. Yeah. I, I, I want to know. Me, how what, what is it about that? Is that because you also feel food noise? Tell me more. Like where, where is that? Oh, I feel, I feel food noise. I feel exercise noise. I feel guilt and shame. And it, it, like I said, it just takes up way too much space in my brain between that and anxiety. It's like, there's no room for real thoughts. Mm. Um, and one of the things that SSRIs have been great at but particularly Caplita has been really great at is lowering a lot exactly. of the noise in my brain. Exactly. But the food noise persists. It's so interesting. I don't know what it is. I would, you know, I'm sure over the next 10 years, we're going to learn so much more about these medications. Like, what is it that leads to that exactly? Is there a way to have it for someone that does not need to, to lose weight? 
like you. I mean, what is there anything that can help you with food noise? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I know that there are some, there are therapeutic modalities, right? And obviously there's even special cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders. Um, and um, I, I just wanted to throw out, I was actually, sorry, just checking my phone because there is a lot of work on narrative healing and narrative medicine out there. And yes. um, there's a book called The Healing Power of Storytelling by, I think it's Anne A. Noonan, who's, a, I, I just love that book. So, you know, listeners, healing power of storytelling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There is one in particular that I've written about before, and I believe the title is Breakthrough. It's about trauma. Um, I first heard about it on a a podcast interview with the author. I was very taken by it. It was the description of how over or working with trauma is this twofold journey, mm. the biological and the narrative. Um, be, and, you know, her assertion is that trauma really is not what happens to you. It's whether you have the trusted connections to build a narrative around it. Even as a child, do you have that trusted person that helps you understand this uh, for yourself within your own history and your own story of what happened to you? Yeah. It's an area I'm fascinated by and I definitely want to delve into more. And any recommendations from anyone out there about this this world um, of narrative understanding, um, contextualizing. That's really, I mean, if you listen to everything I'm saying around, I want, I want to get my thing out there, but I want feedback and I want to understand it's all the same thing. It's contextualizing, contextualizing. experiences. How will your narrative change if you're a person who is not in pain all the time? Healthy. Healthy. <laughs> active. Yeah. Wow. Um, not 60 pounds heavier than you want to be. Like, how, yeah. how is that going to integrate into who you are? I don't even know yet because I still am, I'm still, you know, I, I said to myself, I'm going to give this a year. So a year from February of, you know, because by the way, sadly, I wish it were just these migraines and nausea. I also have, it's also boring and I feel 900 years old when I talk about it, but I also have iliopsoas tendinopathy, which is like a, you know, you're, it's not, it's like tendinitis, but it's not all inflammation. It's like the tendons in your hip are all of the things I have going on, by the way, are confusers. When I look them up, it's like, we don't understand much about iliopsoas tendinopathy. We don't understand much about endometriosis. Like, you know, people are learning, but, you know, a lot of these things, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm a machine that just takes in every confusing, um, event in the world and then tries to like, understand and clarify it. definitely trouble. the hysterectomy journey was so confusing so Why yeah so that? i'm working on a hip stuff i'm working on like 10 achilles tendonitis in my foot it, it's so many layers of like healing it's working to heal and understand do you have an exercise or something that you do when you just don't want to be in a group my growth mindset around your pain Hmm. God, you ask the best questions. Yeah. You're saying, this is how I translate what you're saying. 
hey, what if you're not up for the work of growth mindset? Then what, what do you what do? Like, what do you do at that pill? moment? Like, I have muscle relaxants for migraines and all my <laughs> horrible chronic pain. And some days I'm just like, oh my God, I just want to knock myself out and excuse <laughs> yeah. myself for the day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, That's d- not I have mindset. many. Yeah, I have many things I do. I would not say it's against growth mindset, by the way. Like to me, growth mindset simply means I'm going to have this input and I'm going to see what happens. So you could be having an input of the muscle relaxants. And if you're staying conscious with it, you're not just, um, fuck it. I'm not going to, I don't even know how we feel about swearing, but like, I'm not even going to think about this. I'm just going to, you know, which is by the way, what I felt I did for a year when I was in bed, I spent a year in bed. To me, that was not a growth mindset moment. I mean, I like still worked. I, you know, I I I went out into the world being able to work from bed. Totally. I I was in bed a lot. Like, yes, I would walk to this desk and have meetings, but then I would go in bed, you know, it was, um, and yes, it was a work from home. It was over COVID as well. So, um, but I, I, I think, you know, growth mindset is a very subtle thing. We, we talk about it sort of in a bro-tastic way, like it's like powering through. But I, I actually think it's more subtle than that. I think it has to do with how engaged you are with your patterns. Hmm. Hmm. Right. So to answer your question, what do I do when I don't feel like engaging? Um, I, well, I... I do so many different things. I mean, the number of baths and Epsom salts, the Megan bed, um, edibles, you know, just the list goes on and on yeah. of so many things that um, fill in the gaps around, you know, it's like different. Some people might call it self-care and some might call it, um, you know, just my techniques for getting through. It's but interesting. I and I and I do think um my neck hurts me right now. You know, like when, when you live when you live and feel like your body isn't optimal, that creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of noise. And so that's really hard. And I think that's something we never talk about at work. We never talk about it because so many of us are suffering. I uh, you know, my my wonderful massage therapist is like he's so booked. And he's, he's like, it's all y'all who just spend all your lives in front of screens. And he's like, everyone's in pain. And it's funny, I'm reading the book about the Sackler family called Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. It's incredible. And a lot of it is about how pain was invented as, as a way to sell lots of drugs. I believe that. And I also have been very tuned in. By the way, Beautiful Voyager, And tw- when I first started thinking about it in 2015, when people would ask me why I wanted to do it, I said it was because of the opioid crisis, because huh. I saw how much pain what was happening in people's treatment of this pain and how The, the path of opioid medication in addressing the pain was not um, was not really getting at what was was happening for for people. It was only a path towards self-destruction in many ways, obviously. And all, by the way, I also read Demon Copperhead. I saw that in your in your um, yeah. 
in your newsletter as well. But yes, I, I've been thinking about opioids in that way for years and years. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Everyone was like, what? I was like, yeah. I. What about the opioid crisis? This is all about pain. <laughs> I, I feel like I was just a slightly ahead of like where our thinking is now. On Always. Oh, that's your job. That's your <laughs> job. That's my job. That's what you get paid for. That's right. You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> okay. I want to end. We're over time, but I want right. to ask you one more question about processing. I think you and I are both people who process in public, but we're also kind of self-conscious about that. Yes. What advice do you have for people who are considering whether they want to include a public narrative about themselves that includes subjects that are traumatic? I would start, one thing that I've been doing this year is getting very intentional around who I spend time with and in my own life and tuning into how they make me feel. This has mm -hmm. always been something I've been aware of, but I've been so intentional. I have on my notes app, on my phone, like, these are the people these are the people I want to spend more time with. These are the people that are making me feel this way. And I really recommend that people think about that for themselves and, and you know, look for three, look for two. And it may be super obvious to you. My brother, my best friend, start by talking to them. Just see about building that narrative for yourself in a very small, intimate way. How does that go? How does it feel? Um, because when we, when we start writing for the rest of the world, we're extending, hopefully, what we're doing with our people in our life. Mm -hmm. So you have to, and, and I always say, you got to be gawky to get graceful. Like in the beginning, it feels weird. You're gawky. You're embarrassing. I have many stories about saying embarrassing things. By the way, last week, I wrote a newsletter about being on vacation. And afterwards, and I posted it on LinkedIn, it got like one like for a week. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Ah. But like, I, I'm like learning over and over. It's fine. Like I'm talking about these things with the people I love. They're giving me feedback. I'm understanding. I'm writing about it. Doesn't mean every topic is going to hit with everyone. Doesn't mean anyone's going to respond to certain things. I didn't even know you liked the piece about Wagovi. Mm -hmm. When I wrote that, I didn't know what the response is. So you... You will have an impact as you write on people you may not even realize the impact that you have. And you have to have faith, again, faith that that is okay. Faith. Yes. You have to believe. Like, you have to really, and it takes a long time. So for me now, it's been since 2015. That's a long time of pushing things out into the world and just having faith that people are seeing it. Maybe they aren't, but it doesn't matter if they're not. Keep going. Keep going. It's not easy. I wish I could say it's easy. I wish I could say I don't second guess it all the time myself. I do. But I'm still showing up. I'm still here with you. You know, these are things that tell me like you're figuring you're figuring out how to do this in a way and you're building like a little muscle and a little callus around it so it doesn't hurt quite as much. So again, to answer your question, if you're somebody who is thinking about how do I start telling my journey, how do I tell my story, start by talking about it out loud mm -hmm. with a couple of trusted people. Come up with a couple of metaphors that make you laugh. You know, come up with like, like what your voice is or around these topics. 
and then start writing writing it down and start sharing it. And again, you can go to first to the trusted people and then you can like start sharing it more widely. I mean, it, it, it can take time. And, and some of it, again, speaking of privilege is being lucky enough to be in a place where I feel accepted yeah. by my colleagues to be able to talk about these things. I mean, I feel like my colleagues know me enough that I'm not going to be terribly judged. So again, you're just trying to build people knowing you, people understanding you, being able to contextualize you <laughs> as well as you sharing your own context. It would be such a gift if we were all able to contextualize each other. I know. I know. <sighs> I totally agree. Thank you so much, Meredith. Thank you. It was so great to see you. It was so great to spend time with you. Thank you to everyone who's taking the time to listen. Yeah. Follow up. Leave us comments on LinkedIn because yeah. we'd love to hear. I would love to hear. Thank you. That's it for today. To hear more LinkedIn Lives, head over to my profile on LinkedIn where they're all indexed. You can subscribe to my newsletter too. And be sure to subscribe or follow the Anxious Achiever feed for more of these conversations, as well as my regular podcast episodes. 